All right. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Uh, if you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. It is good to have you with us. If there's anything that we can do to serve you or help you get connected to the community here at River City, we would love to be able to do that. Come find me afterwards or somebody else you've seen up front or on the slides. We would really love to get to know you, help get plugged into the community here. Um, I don't know about you, um, but uh, New Year's is always a time of the year that's exciting to me. Maybe it's because I'm a big picture person and thinking about new things and new beginnings is exciting to me. Uh, it feels like fre a fresh start, uh, even though nothing, nothing magical happens when the calendar rolls over from December 31st to January 1st, right? There isn't anything extra special about that day, but, but it feels exciting to me. It feels hopeful. It feels full of anticipation and and I don't know about you, but that's true of me. But I think that is true for a lot of us. You see, there's something appealing about the idea of fresh starts and new beginnings. And, and, uh, and I think that for, for a lot of us, what it causes us to do is to, to ask the good questions about uh, what in our life might need changing. What, what in our lives might need uh, setting new goals or, or, or changes that be made or maybe resolutions to help us uh, continue to improve. And lots of us set goals. We make resolutions as part of starting a new year. And most of the time, our resolutions center around basically some, some version of basically stopping some version of bad habits and starting some version of good habits, whether that's uh, what you're eating or working harder or achieving something new or being more disciplined in some way, shape, or form. Sometimes there are even spiritual things like wanting to read your Bible more, spend more time praying, and there isn't anything inherently wrong with any of that stuff. But the problem isn't with the what of our changes or our goals or our resolutions that we make this time of year. Oftentimes, the problem is really with the why behind it. See, what's often at the root of the things that we want to change, the resolutions that we make, is that, is that there is this consuming desire that, that takes control of us in which we are trying to find or become or express the best version of ourselves, the, the truest version of ourselves, Last year, I remember uh, seeing a friend of mine post something on Facebook around this time. It said, in a world where you can be anything, be yourself and surround yourself with people and things that help bring about the best version of you. And as you'd expect, uh, that post got lots of uh, encouraging likes and comments and affirming thoughts and, and all those kinds of things. And because that's a, it, that, that is fundamentally a message that resonates with us, not just in the way that we think around New Year's time, but it's a message that fundamentally resonates with the very heart of our culture. It's, a, it's an idea that theologians and philosophers often refer to as the idea of expressive individualism. You see, the reality is that uh, the culture that we live in is obsessed with the idea of finding and becoming yourself. It's obsessed with the idea of finding and becoming the true version of you, the, the, the real you, finding and becoming who that is. The highest virtues in our culture are individual freedom and happiness and self-definition and self-expression. And the most heroic storylines in our culture are the lines where someone looks deep into their own heart and their own desires and they discover who they really are and then they express those whatever they find to the world, especially when that means going against whatever of her family or friends or political allegiances or previous generations or religious authorities might have to say. You see, the gospel of expressive individualism says that the way that you find a sense of fulfillment and happiness and self-worth is by being true to yourself, 
is by following your heart, is by speaking your truth. You see, but the reality is, is that that message, the, the gospel of expressive individualism, it's not just different from the gospel that Jesus preached. It is fundamentally at odds with it. It, is, it utterly contradicts it. You see, and as we study God's word this morning, what I want to show you is that in an age where people are obsessed with becoming themselves, the countercultural and seemingly paradoxical calling of the gospel is that, we, is that the way to find the real you isn't by being true to who you think you are. Instead, it's by being true to who God has made you to be from the beginning. You see, the vision God has for us isn't that we would look into our own hearts to find and become our true selves, but instead God's vision for us is that we would become captivated by Jesus and in turn we would, become, we would come to look more and more like him. And so as we think about beginning a new year this year, as we think about heading into a new year together, what I want to do as we study this morning is I want to invite you and call you to set your eyes on Jesus. So that in a world that is obsessed with becoming yourself, we might instead be obsessed with becoming more and more like him. And so to that end this morning, we're going to take a look at Colossians chapter 3. And I want to show you this morning how what God's word has to say about the true you, the real you, not only contradicts the false gospel of expressive individualism, but it's actually good news in the face of it. And so this morning, in light of that, let's pray. And we'll spend our time in God's word. King Jesus, we come before you this morning and we are so grateful for you. We are grateful that as we begin a new year, as we think about heading into a new year, uh, Jesus, that you have gone long before us into it. And so we are grateful that you are leading us and that you are guiding us, that there isn't any surprises out in front of us this year that you have not already prepared for us. And so we ask, King Jesus, that you would make us ready as we head into a new year. Not just to be a people, but to be your people who is set apart for your purposes and your glory. God, as we come together this morning, we just say that that's not the default mode of our hearts. And that's not the message that our culture speaks to us and, and preaches as good news to us, but it is what is true. And so, Jesus, we come before you and we really need you this morning by your spirit to give us soft hearts that can respond rightly to you and to your word and to being shaped by it as we should be. God, I need you. God, I don't have the words I need to say. I don't have the power to speak them with without you filling me in order that that might happen. And so we come this morning, all of us, King Jesus, dependent on you. God, and we ask that for our good and for your great glory that you would meet us through your word and by your spirit this morning so that we might indeed become the people you have called us to be. We pray these things in your good name. Amen. Well, this morning we are in Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 1 through 10 this morning. It begins this way. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
And you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. And do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There's two things this morning I want to highlight for us as we uh, study God's word. Two ways in which what God's word has to say about the true you contradicts the false gospel of expressive individualism and is in fact good news in the face of it. And the first thing is this. You see, God's word tells us that the true you is found by looking upward instead of inward. The true you is found by looking upward instead of inward. See, our culture tells us that the way to find out who you really are is to look deep into your heart and to discover your innermost desires and passions. But God's words tells us that the way to find our true self isn't by looking inward. In fact, it's the opposite. It's by instead by looking upward. Verse 1 reads this way, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Verse 3, For you died and your life, your identity, the true you, who you really are, is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, what Paul is saying here this morning is that the way, to, the way to see the true you, the real you, the way to find out the person that you were always made to be is by focusing our attention upwards towards Christ instead of inwards towards ourselves. In the summer, uh, my family and I, we love to take walks in the evenings. And uh, because we don't want to be walking to midnight, we have our kids ride their bikes. And uh, so they, uh, they have these little tricycles with the little handles on the back, you know, which whoever invented that, just brilliant, right? Brilliant move there, right? And, uh, but they're starting to get to this age where they don't really need our help, but I wouldn't really describe any of them as, you know, responsible drivers or anything like that yet, you know? You see, and so what happens is whenever we're walking, uh, about every three or four seconds, uh, we're saying something like, hey, uh, watch where you're going, look up. Uh, because what happens is that they're constantly looking down at the road in front of them. They're looking at some rock that they're driving over or some, some sparkly something in the road or uh, something, some, an ant that has recently walked past them, you know, or any shiny object on the side of the street. And what happens is wherever they're looking, they start to veer in that direction. No matter what, wherever they're looking, they start to veer in that direction, invariably, Right? And that's because the reality is, is that where you are looking determines where you are going. This is true when you ride a bike, but it's also true, the same is true when we think about finding and becoming our true selves, who we really are. You see, expressive individualism says that the true you is found by looking deep inside yourself and expressing without inhibition uh, whatever it is that you find there. But verse 5 tells us that when we look deep inside our hearts, our earthly nature should be put to death, not paraded around. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, it echoes that truth. It says, those who live according to the flesh, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. And the mind governed by the flesh is death. Jeremiah 19, 9 adds this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. See, one commentator writes it this way. He says, the gospel shows us that the depths of our hearts are steeped in sin and that what we need most is not self-expression, but is redemption. You see, when we look inward to find our true selves, we just end up spiraling off course. We end up veering around in a circle where we just kind of keep spinning and spinning in circles. 
You see, but when we look up at Christ and the identity that we have wrapped up in him, it enables us to set a stable course in the right direction because he is, he's not just the picture of what humanity was meant to be. He, he also never changes. He is the steady star to set our course on. But more than just showing us the right direction, setting our hearts and our minds on the true version of ourselves that is hidden in Christ uh, gives us incredible security. You see, because it reminds us that our identity isn't something that we have to achieve for ourselves, but instead something that is graciously given to us, that we receive from a God who loves us. Verse 1 begins this way. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. It's past tense. Verse 1 begins already that way. You see, Paul spent the first entire two chapters of Colossians reminding Christians about who Jesus is and all that he's done and who we are because of him. He, tell, he reminds us that we were alienated from God, enemies of his, but God reconciled us by Christ's body and God qualified us to share in the inheritance of his people. And now we're children of God, members of his family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We, Paul says in uh, chapter 2, verse 14, that we were condemned because of our sin and we were found guilty and sentenced but on the cross God canceled our record of debt against him and now instead of being found guilty we're found holy in his sight without blemish with we are free from accusation in chapter 2 again he says that we were dead in our sin but now we're actually alive in Christ God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and in Christ it says in chapter 2 it says we've been brought to fullness that we are complete in him See, and now in chapter 3, in our passage this morning, Paul charges us. He says, be who you already are. Be who you already are. You see, the message of the gospel and of Christian identity is not one of becoming something you are not, but is one of being something God has already declared you to be. One author puts it this way. He says, genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing first how God is looking at us. That enables you to see that your true self is not something you need to construct through a process of self-improvement or deconstruct by means of philosophical analysis. It is not an object to be grasped, nor is it an archetype to be actualized. It is not even some inner hidden part of you. Rather, it is your total self as you were created by God and as you are being redeemed in Christ. Do you see the life there? Do you see the freedom that's there? Do you see the, the, like the, just like the, the, the life that is in those words? You see, true freedom is not the ability to define yourself and to do whatever you want to do. True freedom is the ability to do what you were made to do the whole time. It's to do what you were designed to do. Real freedom is found in the right restrictions. And that's why Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, in contrast, the self-made, self-defined identity that expressive individualism kind of proclaims as liberation and as freedom is really just a different crushing burden. You see, not only do you have to figure out who you really are, but then you have to become who you find you really are. You have to achieve the you that you decide you really are. You see, we're supposed to be free from guilt and defining our, by defining ourselves, but the reality is, is that the weight of needing to become whatever we define ourselves to be is a burden that we cannot bear. It's a weight that we cannot bear. You see, growing up, my dad's favorite movie uh, was Chariots of Fire. 
I don't know if you've ever watched that movie or heard it, but it's a movie that's basically about a a guy who's an Olympic runner. And there's this scene where he's thinking about this race that he's about to run, and he, he says something that I think just captures the essence of the way that our world functions. He says this, he says, in an hour's time, I'll be out there again, and I'll raise my eyes, and I'll look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. And the question is, will I? You see, when we define ourselves, when when our identity is wrapped up in who we say we are and the need to become whatever that is, it's not freedom we find. It's not life. It's, It's not liberation. See, it's just a different form of slavery. You see, we are ruled by trying to justify our existence and it is a burden that we cannot carry. You see, but the gospel of Jesus is altogether different. You see, it says that our identity is not something we define or achieve, but something we receive and then are invited to live in light of, to live in response to. You see, we're God's forgiven, beloved, image-bearing children. <clears throat> that means that your value and that your worth and that your significance, it doesn't have to do with what you achieve or fail to achieve. It doesn't have to do with your success or lack thereof. Instead, you have an immeasurable value and dignity and worth because you are God's image-bearing representative. And more than that, in Christ, what we see is that you are his adopted child, son or daughter. You see, and when you let that identity sink in, when that begins to shape you, and that when that begins to, to change who you are, when that begins to be the thing that's at the root of who you really are, it It changes you in a way that nothing else can. Tim Keller notes this. He says, if your identity in Jesus Christ has been given to you by grace, then on one hand, you are humbled into the dust because you were such a sinner that Jesus had to die for you and you weren't able to achieve it. But at the same time, you are affirmed to the skies because he accepts you and loves you and and that means you're both bold and humble at once. See, no other system of thought, no other culture, no other approach to identity can create that same kind of person. Hannah Anderson, another uh, author and commentator, she writes this. She says um, about our identity as image bearers, she says it simultaneously elevates and humbles us. It reminds us our calling is too grand and too glorious to be contained in human categories, but it also confronts us in our pride by reminding us that we are not God. See, in this sense, finding our identity as an image bearer centers us. It puts us in our place in the best possible way. You see, the gospel of Jesus that we see in God's word, see what it tells us that our true selves are found by, not by looking inward, not by delving the, the depths of our hearts, but instead by looking upward at him. He not only shows us who we were meant to be, he redeems us so that we can become who he made us to be. You see, and that brings us to the second way that God's word, or what God's word says about the true you contradicts the false gospel of expressive individualism. It says this, see, God's word says that the true you is realized by dying to yourself instead of expressing yourself. You see, the the true you, the real you, is realized, it is actualized by dying to self rather rather than expressing ourselves. You see, expressive individualism advocates desires 
all of them. You see, and anything that gets in the way of expressing those desires is a problem. But the Bible doesn't affirm all of our desires. In fact, over and over and over again, what we see in God's word is that the Bible says that many of our desires are not good. They're not from God. They're not life-giving. They're not, they, don't bring, they don't bring joy. They don't bring life. Not all of them should be expressed. In fact, many of them should be put to death. Verse 5 continues this way in our passage this morning. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That's strong language that the Apostle Paul is using there. He doesn't say, tame those desires. He doesn't say, harness them. Uh, he doesn't say, uh, he, doesn't, he also doesn't say, hide them. He says to reject them, to kill them, to die to them. Trevin Wax, one pastor, he writes this, he says, I know there are people who think I am telling them not to be true to themselves, and they're right. You see, the Christian preacher tells people all day long, don't be true to yourself. Yourself you'd be true to is rotten to the core. Authenticity isn't accepting your sins. It is admitting your sins and then being true to the person that King Jesus has declared you to be. See, the reality for us as God's people is that God's word is the thing that, that defines for us, it shapes for us, it, it gives us clarity on which desires in our hearts are right and good and true and which are not. You see, and if our desires don't align with God's word, then they should be something that we reject altogether. You see, but dying to our own desires wasn't Paul's idea. You see, it was Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to be mine, then they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whatever loses their life for me will save it. You see, denying yourself is about saying no to who you think you really are and saying yes to who Jesus has declared you to be. You see, and this is true for all of us. You see, for every single one of us, all of us, no one is excluded. There will be things that feel fundamental to who we really are that the gospel calls us to deny about ourselves and to say that this is not of God and instead Jesus is calling us to a new life and a new mission and a new purpose found in him. One commentator sums it up this way. He says, the fruit-desiring, lie-believing, wilderness-wandering self is the very thing we bury as we're buried with Christ. For his death for us becomes our death to self. And his new life becomes our new life, a life in which we deny ourselves instead of listening to ourselves, in which we take up our cross instead of taking up our dreams, and in which we follow him instead of following on our hearts. You see, and where I need to invite you this morning is that what you cannot miss is the good news that is found in that. You see, self-denial is not the road to self-destruction. It is, in fact, the road to self-discovery. You see, it's the way that you find who you were really meant to be. It's the way that you find the real you, the, the true you, who God made you and designed you and called you to be from the very beginning. In his conclusion to mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, I think, sums it up best when he writes this about what it means to find our true selves by submitting and surrendering. He says, many people today are seeking to know who they really are. 
but they're going about it in the wrong way. For only Jesus Christ can help us discover and become who we are meant to be. He says the more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. See, this principle runs from through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and your favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find real life. He says, look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred and loneliness and despair and rage and ruin and decay. But look for Christ. Look for him and you'll find him and everything else thrown in. He's giving ourselves wholly to Jesus. It's the only way to discover who we really are. It's the only way to become who God has made us to be. It's the only way to experience the riches that he has in store for us in this life and the next. It is the only way to fulfill the purpose for which you and I have all been made. And it can seem scary. It can seem counterintuitive. But it is the narrow road that leads to life. So the question this morning I want to put before you. Have you ever surrendered to Jesus? Have you ever said to him that you are the king? Have you made him king of all in your own life? Or do you still live as though this life is about you? Do you, do you still uh, go through the way thinking that fulfillment and life and joy is found in being true to yourself and in God affirming whatever you find about yourself? Or do you realize like the Apostle Paul did in 2 Corinthians 5 that Christ died for everyone so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him? who died and was raised again. You see, some of you are here this morning and you have been around Jesus all your lives. You have been in church. You have been in Sunday school. You've been even maybe in ministry. But you have never surrendered to Jesus as king. He has always been an add-on to you, but he has never been Lord. You have, always, uh, you have always seen him as the one who brings about and affirms the goals that you have rather than the one who sets the goals that you are to follow. And so you've never died to yourself. Instead, you've always asked Jesus' plans and his desires to die to yours, and it's not working for you. You see, if we're honest, many of us are experiencing what C.S. Lewis talked about. We experience the emptiness and the loneliness and the lies that are at the end of the gospel of expressive individualism. You've given yourself to the goal of becoming the true you, expressing who you really are, and either you endlessly fail at becoming what you want to be, or when you get there, you find inevitably that it is utterly lacking. You're not finding life you're looking for. You're not finding the joy you are looking for. You're not finding the, the peace that you are looking for. You're not finding the fulfillment and the sense of worth that you are looking for because that's not how it works. It's not how it works. See, the true you, the real you, who you have been made to be, it's not found by looking inward. It's not found by expressing what you find. It's found by dying to self and looking at Jesus. See, he's the one who tells us and shows us who we were always made to be. But more than that, he's the one who redeems us so that we might become who he's made us to be. 
The true you is hidden in Christ. It's wrapped up in him and who he's made you to be and who he died so that you might become. Some of you are here this morning and you've never surrendered to Jesus. Like I said, you've been around him your whole life, but you have never surrendered to him as Lord. And I want to call you this morning to do that. You see, the life you have, the you that you are looking for, the freedom and self-fulfillment, the things you are longing for to find, you cannot find apart from him. And not just with him on the side, you cannot find them apart from submission to his authority. Say, Jesus, you are king and I am not. You see, but some of you are here this morning and you have surrendered to Jesus and you know that your identity is in him. But instead of setting your minds on things above, you have been soaking in the lies of the culture around us. And that this morning, I want to graciously but clearly call you to repentance this morning. See, to reject the lies that say that you, that you are most yourself and that you are most free when you believe and do whatever you think is best. And instead to confess that what your heart needs and what my heart really needs most is not expression, is not affirmation, but is redemption. See, and the good news of the gospel that we get to remember is that Jesus came so that we might have those things. So wherever you are at this morning, as we think about heading into a new year together, in a year where you can indeed be anything, instead of resolving to be yourself and surround yourself with people and things that help bring out the best version of you, I want to call you, I want to invite you to the road, the narrow road that leads to life in which you resolve to become more like Jesus and surround yourself with people who will help you to become more like him. People who will point you to him and to the true you that is found in dying to yourself and living unto him. People who will, in an age obsessed with becoming yourself, will help you to actually become more and more like Jesus. You see, in the beginning of this passage, Paul tells us to set our minds on things above. That word set is actually written as an active imperative. What it means is to set and keep on setting. You see, to set our minds on Jesus is something that we have to, in, to endeavor to join God in every day of our lives. And the truth is, is that you cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone. And the people you surround yourself with and the, the proclamations of whatever gospel you allow to be preached into your heart and life, it affects you, it changes you. See, there's one gospel, there's, there's one way to life that actually brings about the life and light that you are actually looking for, and it's only found in Jesus and in a community that will help point you towards him. So what I want to call you this morning, you know, in an age obsessed with becoming yourself, to become instead more like Jesus, to be obsessed with becoming more and more like him, you see, reminding ourselves about who Jesus is and who he calls us to be, who he makes us to be, who he has, who he has declared that we are. The reason uh, taking communion is one of the ways that we help to remember those truths. You see, we remind ourselves about who Jesus is and who we are because of him. That's the reason why we take communion every week. You see, the bread with the bread, we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us as he lived the life that we should have lived, showing us who we were meant to be. And the drink, we, with the drink, we remember his blood, which 
was shed for us, and as he died the death that we should have died, redeeming us so that we might become the people that he has made us to be. See, remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf and all that it accomplished, and it reminds us how worthy Jesus is of our lives and of our worship and our, and our hearts, of our holiness, of our obedience, of our lives given over to him completely. See, communion, it does not make you right with God. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him in any way. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to remember, to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated to set our hearts on things above where Christ is seated. So that in remembering him, we might respond in love and gratitude to him with lives obsessed with becoming more like him. See, the bread and the juice are in the back. There's a table on the left and on the right. And during our time of worship, I'd encourage you, go back and take communion. As we sing, as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song, if you've put your trust in Jesus if he is the one in who your identity is rooted, if he is the, your savior and your Lord, the source of your identity, then whenever you are ready, go back and take communion. Do it as a, as a, a joyful remembrance of all that Jesus has made you to be. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus. But if not, if you're here this morning and Jesus is not yet your savior or your king, if you've not yet surrendered to him, I would encourage you to hold off on taking communion. I need you to hear this. You are welcome here. This community is for you. These people are for you wherever you are at. See, but I want to encourage you to hold off on taking communion. Instead, come to Jesus. See, he is the one you really need. The identity he offers is the life that you really need. Come to him first before you take communion. Together, as we take communion and sing, I want to encourage all of us, talk with God. Be honest with him. Where is he calling you to look up at him instead of to look down at yourself or earthly things? Where is he calling you to die to self so that you might live unto him? What passions and desires, what, what goals, what things that, that consume you are the things that are not of him? See, God calls us to look up to him. And he calls us to die to ourselves so that we might find and become the person and people we were always made to be in him. And there is a life there that there is found nowhere else. I want to call you to that this morning. I want to invite you into it. There is life there and joy there. And it's worth the pain. So let us pray. King Jesus, we come before you this morning. God, we are saturated and soaked in a culture that believes with, at the very core that the way to find our true selves is to look inwardly. Ah, but King Jesus, you, you remind us that when we look inwardly, what we find is what should be put to death, not what should be brought to life. Thanks that you came to live and die on our behalf so that we might have new life in you, so that we might be able to not just see who we are supposed to be, but Jesus, that we would be able to be redeemed so that we might become who we were made to be. You see, we cannot do it without you. We cannot be the people you have made and called us to be. We cannot be our true selves without you being the one who transforms and renews and changes us, King Jesus. And so we ask humbly, God, for your great glory and for our good, would you do it? Would you help us to, to look to you and to find our true selves wrapped up in you? God, we pray this.
We need this. God, help us. In your good name we pray. Amen.